0: Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh, that he let the sons of Israel go out of his land.
1: Welcome to Walking Through the Book. I'm Stephen McCrary. And I'm Bryant Bales. I'm Jeremy Hodges. And we'd like to talk with you about the Bible today. Specifically, we'd like to talk with you about Exodus 7-10. through 10. Uh, Walking Through the Book is all about these three things. We want to encourage Bible reading. We want to make sure that we are demonstrating proper and responsible study of the Bible, and we want to emphasize what the text says, no more and no less. What those things really mean is that we, uh, we want to make sure that you are reading the Bible in not in a scared or a, a intimidated manner, but in a manner where you're seeking God's will, that you're making sure that you're studying it in the right way, and keep to what has been revealed and not to what has not been revealed. Before we start, we want to let you know how to get in touch with us. You can find us on Facebook. If you search at Walking Through the Book, you'll find us there. You can also email us at book at protonmail.com. And also you can find this podcast and other podcasts at northcolumbuschristians.com. That's the website of the church that uh, I work with, the North Columbus Church of Christ in Columbus, Mississippi. we will be glad to have you uh, visit with us anytime. Uh, we also want to sort of go over the flow of the program. And, uh, if you notice what we have is, uh, not just a, a guest, uh, guest, we've talked uh, quite a while, um, about this over the past, uh, week or so. And, uh, Bryant and I kind of figured, well, we haven't really had a whole lot of update in, uh, in the podcast over the past year. Mm-hmm. And so we thought about maybe adding someone else on to it. And, uh, at, we were at profitable for teaching last week and, uh, mm-hmm we actually got to record the next episode of this. And, uh, I mentioned to Brian, I was like, you know, do, how do you feel about Jeremy coming on board with this? And, uh, Brian was, was for it. I checked with Jeremy yeah. and Jeremy's like, absolutely. So, uh, I was pleased with that enthusiasm. And, uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, welcome aboard, Jeremy. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you guys so much and what you do. I work
0: with the Wildercroft congregation in Riverdale, Maryland, uh, that really doesn't mean anything if you're in the area. It's sort of the bedroom community just north of Washington, D.C. on the Maryland side. Uh, you can get a hold of me uh, at hodges at gmail.com. If you happen to be
1: in the D.C. area, we'd love to be able to see you. And uh, I guess we'll kind of work out a little bit more about what how we want to do the intro. We have sort of a rhythm that we had before but we'll kind of edit that over time and figure that out over time, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, you know, Bryant, why don't you let everybody know how to get in touch with you, and uh, we'll go over the flow of the program before we uh, before we get into it.
2: All right. Uh, so I'm Bryant Bales, and uh, I work as an evangelist with the Garden City Church of Christ, uh, just west of downtown Savannah, Georgia, uh, by the coast of Georgia. Uh, we've got a website that uh, we've just recently updated with a new URL. It's strivingforthefaith.org or .com. Uh, you'll be able to find information about the address for the congregation there. We also uh, we have a Facebook page. Um, if you type in Garden City Church of Christ on Facebook, you'll find uh, information about our location there as well. If you're ever uh, visiting, it's a good place to vacation if uh, you want a beautiful place to Spend some time and know that there's brethren nearby that you can meet with. Um, We'd love to hear from you. Uh, I've also got a personal email that's kind of silly, but it's uh, cartoonguy5 at hotmail.com if you'd want to shoot me an email. And as far as the flow of the program, uh, we always try to keep it focused on God's Word and uh, simple in how we try to keep things constrained uh, to our reading. And so we start just by reading through the text, and uh, today we're going to be reading Exodus seven through ten, a little bit of a bigger reading, uh, but that constitutes the majority of the plagues. And so it'll it'll have kind of a a good uh, contextual flow to it, even though we're doing more chapters than usual. And after we do our reading, we'll just point out some initial observations that we got from the from the text, and that'll just be things that we saw from our reading. After that, we'll look at themes, and that could deal with uh, maybe the greater context of Exodus outside of our reading. Uh, we may remember some things from Genesis, uh, that relate to our reading. Uh, and then there may be other things that we see in the old Testament narrative or, uh, in the new Testament related to Jesus or the epistles. Um, and after we point out some themes, we'll be looking at some applications that we can make to wrap up our study.
1: You know, I I was just looking on, uh, the garden city website, Bryant. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that's you up there on that mountain cliff over, you know, surveying, like <laughs> looking at the, at the distance and, and everything. Cool. So like, I mean, it's, you know, pretty cool shot to have on there. So, um, all right. Uh, well, um, we're, we're going to be reading through these chapters and, uh, what versions are you guys using? What version are you using? Jeremy? New American standard. Okay. And Bryant, are you new American standard as well? Yeah, yeah, I've got the same. Okay, I will provide <laughs> the alternative in the original, uh-huh. quote-unquote, authorized King James version. <laughs> the original. <laughs> that's a, yeah, oh, okay, all right. Are, are I think you really, if you're really, are original... you really reading the original. King... Yeah, if that's okay.
0: No, 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 I just, I, I was surprised by it, that's all. <laughs> I mean, I know you're yeah, I was... vinyl, I know you're into classic and vinyl, but but that's that's <laughs> that's epic. <laughs> it's hardcore. <laughs>
1: Exodus 7 And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a God to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he shall send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt, and bring forth mine armies and my people of the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I stretch forth mine hand upon Egypt, and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. And Moses was fourscore years old, and Aaron fourscore and three years old, when they spake unto Pharaoh. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you. Then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod, and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so, as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh, and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. Now the magicians of Egypt they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rods swallowed up their rods. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart, that he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, he refuseth to let the people go. Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning. Lo, he goeth out unto the water, and thou shalt stand by the river's brink against he come. And the rod which was turned into a serpent shalt thou take in thine hand. And thou shalt say unto him, the Lord God of the Hebrews hath sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness, and behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. Thus saith the Lord, In this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in mine hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying unto Aaron, Take thy rod, and stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon their rivers, and upon their ponds, and upon all their pools of water, that they may become blood, and that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so, as the Lord commanded. And he lifted up the rod, and smote the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh, and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. And the fish that was in the river died, and the river stank. And the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. And there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, neither did he hearken unto them, as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house, neither did he set his heart to this also. And all the Egyptians digged around about the river for water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the river and 7 days were fulfilled after that the Lord had spitten the river then the Lord said to
2: Moses go to pharaoh and say to him thus says the Lord let my people go that they may serve me but if you refuse to let them go behold i will smite your whole territory with frogs the nile will swarm with frogs which will come up and go into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed into the houses of your servants, and on your people, and into your ovens, and into your kneading bowls. So the frogs will come up on you, and your people, and all your servants. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the streams, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. The magicians did the same with their secret arts, making frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may remove the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go, that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, The honor is yours to tell me. When shall I entreat for you and your servants and your people, that the frogs may be destroyed from you and your houses, that they may be left only in the Nile? Then he said, Tomorrow. So he said, May it be according to your word, that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will depart from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They will be left only in the Nile. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had inflicted upon Pharaoh. The Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses, the courts, and the fields. So they piled them in heaps, and the land became foul. But when pharaoh saw that there was relief he hardened his heart and did not listen to them as the lord had said then the lord said to moses say to aaron stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth that it may become gnats through all the land of egypt they did so and aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the earth and there were gnats on man and beast all the dust of the earth became gnats through all the land of egypt the magicians tried with their secret arts to bring forth gnats but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Now the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you do not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your servants, and on your people, and into your houses, and the houses of the Egyptians will be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground on which they dwell. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people are living, so that no swarms of flies will be there, in order that you may know that I, the Lord, am in the midst of the land. I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign will occur. Then the Lord did so. And there came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and the houses of his servants, and the land was laid waste because of the swarms of flies in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It is not right to do so, for we will sacrifice to the Lord our God what is an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice what is an abomination to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not then stone us? We must go a three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he commands us. Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. Make supplication for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I shall make supplication to the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only do not let Pharaoh deal deceitfully again in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and made supplication to the Lord. The Lord did, as Moses asked, and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and he did not let the people go.
0: And the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and speak to him. Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go, and continue to hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will come with very severe pestilence on your livestock, which are in the field, and on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the herds, and on the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing will die of all that belongs to the sons of Israel. The Lord set a definite time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died. But of the livestock of the sons of Israel not one died. Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not even one of the livestock of Israel dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people go. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of soot from a kiln, and let Moses throw it toward the sky in the sight of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over all the land of Egypt, and will become boils breaking out with sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from a kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it toward the sky, and it became boils breaking out with sores on man and beast. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of all the boils, for the boils were on the magicians as well as on all the Egyptians. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not listen to them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you and your servants, and your people, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For if by now I had put forth my hand, and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would have then been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this reason I have allowed you to remain, in order to show you my power, and in order to proclaim my name throughout all the earth. Still you exalt yourself against my people by not letting them go. Behold, about this time to I will send a very heavy hail, such as has not been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore, send, bring your livestock and whatever you have in the field to safety. Every man and beast that is found in the field and is not brought home when the hail comes down on them will die. The one among the servants of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord made his servants and his livestock flee into the houses, but he who paid no regard to the word of the Lord left his servants and livestock in the field. Now the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, that hail may fall on all the land of Egypt, on man and on beast, and on every plant of the field throughout the land of Egypt. Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth, and the Lord rained hail on all the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very severe, such as had not been, In all the land of Egypt, since it became a nation. The hail struck all that it was in the field throughout the land of Egypt, both man and beast. The hail also struck every plant of the field, and shattered every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the sons of Israel were, there was no hail. Then Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron, and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is the righteous one, and I and my people are the wicked ones. Make supplication to the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail, and I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I go out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be hail no longer, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. Now the flax and the barley were ruined, For the barley was in the ear, and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not ruined, for they ripened late. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, and spread out his hand to the Lord. And the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured on the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not let the sons of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses.
1: And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these signs before him, and that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's son what things I have wrought in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that ye may know how that I am the Lord. And Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh, and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. Else if thou refuse to let my people go, behold, to-morrow will I bring the locusts into thy coast. And they shall cover the face of the earth, that one cannot be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the residue of that which is escaped, which remaineth unto you from the hail and shall eat every tree which groweth for you out of the field. And they shall fill thy houses, and the houses of all thy servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither thy fathers nor thy father's fathers have seen since the day that they were upon the earth unto this day. And he turned himself and went out from Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's servant said unto him, How long shall this man be a snare unto us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Knowest thou not yet that Egypt is destroyed? And Moses and Aaron were brought again unto Pharaoh. And he said unto them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But who are they that shall go? And Moses said, We will go with our young and with our old, with our sons and with our daughters, with our flocks and with our herds will we go, for we must hold a feast unto the Lord. And he said unto them, Let the Lord be so with you, as I will let you go and your little ones. Look to it, for evil is before you. Not so. Go now, ye that are men, and serve the Lord, for that ye did desire. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come up upon the land of Egypt, and eat every herb of the land, even all that the hail hath left. And Moses stretched forth his rod over the land of Egypt. And the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. And the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt, and rested in all the coasts of Egypt. Very grievous were they. Before them there were no such locusts as they, neither after them shall be such. For they covered the face of the whole earth, so that the land was darkened. And they did eat every herb of the land, and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left and there remained not any green thing in the trees or in the herbs of the field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste, and he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive, I pray thee, my sin only this once, and entreat the Lord your God, that he may take away from me this death only. And he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord turned a mighty strong west wind, which took away the locusts and cast them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the coasts of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, so that he would not let the children of Israel go. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, Neither rose any from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. And Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye, serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be stayed, let your little ones also go with you. And Moses said, Thou must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Our cattle shall also go with us, there shall not an hoof be left behind. For thereof must we take to serve the Lord our God. And we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come thither. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. And Pharaoh said unto him, Get thee from me, take heed to thyself, see my face no more. For in that day thou seest my face, thou shalt die. And Moses said, Thou hast spoken well, I will see thy face again no more. One thing, I, was, I saw something that I, I didn't notice until now. Um, mm. Verse 20 and 21 of chapter 9. He that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle flee into the houses. And he that regarded mm. not the word of the Lord left mm-hmm. his servants and his cattle in his field. There's a whole, in in the in the theme section, there's a whole lot to mine there, I, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um,
0: this idea that that God's power was so demonstrated to the people of Egypt that there were people who were listening to Moses well before Pharaoh was. Right. Right. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. And his his pride. And again, that's that's the heart of the story is you yeah. know, the pride of a man and you know what God's going to do with a proud man. Um,
2: it's
1: interesting that it's that they feared the word of the Lord specifically there as well. In this section. We want to remember that we're we're looking at just sort of the quick things that we see in the chapters themselves. Of course, we've got a lot of chapters to consider um, in this particular reading, but. Uh, you know, what What we want to appreciate is that we do have a local context. We have a local context in terms of what's going on in the scriptures. And uh, sometimes there are just things that just jump out at us, especially in the middle of a, uh, of a reading that can be real, uh, real profitable. So mm-hmm. um, did, uh, did you guys notice anything in that reading that just kind of took you? It was just like, huh, I never really saw, seen that before. One of the things that
0: hits me about this uh, is that, you have Moses being presented as being like God to Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. And Aaron is Moses' prophet. And so you have a separation of the concept of prophet and God. Mm. And I don't know that I really understand the full implication of that. Suffice it to say that we understand that Jesus is both. Mm-hmm. However, in the local context of this, you have Pharaoh having to deal with Moses as the most evident representation of God,
3: mm-hmm.
0: but he has a spokesman in Aaron. Mm hmm. So throughout the rest of this, any of the conversation that happens, it looks like it's happening through Aaron. Mm -hmm. Another thing I think that really stands out to me in this. Moses is 80 years old. Yeah. He is literally on his third career by this point. (laughs) Yeah, he is. Seriously. So he started over twice. He has started over twice. He starts off as, as this prince, uh, under Pharaoh, functionally, he's adopted into Pharaoh's house. His second career is, you know, he's on the lamb. He's over in Midian, and he's settled into that. He's become a shepherd, and he's right. He's a shepherd and a family man. And then now he's back to work, and it's a completely different set of work.
1: Yeah, and and you know, we've we've talked about in the scope of this podcast where you see him you know when you see him kill the egyptian um and you know trying to defend his hebrew brother um not literal brother but uh th- we we kind of speculated as to you know maybe he tried to start an uprising right then and there he 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 might have been ready in fact to free the people at that time but uh it wasn't the right time as far as god was concerned and uh right so you know, there, there's, there is indeed a timing to all this. And, and, and I think Moses' age plays into that, that, that you know, this is the time. It's, it's almost like, you know, the time is fulfilled. I mean, this is, this is when this is going to happen.
2: Yeah, and it makes me think that, you know, I'm, even though the end of Moses' life, it's pointed out that, you know, he was full of, of vigor and, you know, that he had just really retained, uh, you know, his, his strength. Um, it seems like you could make, you could make a point about Moses not having none of this being accomplished by his own strength. Um, mm-hmm. kind of like Zechariah uh, would say later, not by might nor by strength, but it makes me think that the power was not in Moses, but as this progresses, it seems like there would be a fear created in what Moses's presence would represent. You know, that just seeing Moses would terrify you, you know, not because of his appearance, not because he looks, you know, magnificent and strong, but because of what you know is connected with his presence
1: as well. Wow, there's a lot of... (laughs) We need to get back to that on application Um, because there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there as well. But, but specifically, one of the things that, that, you know, is very uh, important to notice in these plagues is that again, I think it's a minority of times that Moses himself is the one that's instigating these plagues. Generally, this is just Aaron. Right. And uh, you know, Aaron's the one that's actually out there and doing his thing. And uh, you know, There's a lot of uh, uh, symbolism to unpack there as well. But, you know, all these plagues, you think about how terrible they would have been and how things are just getting worse and worse and worse over time. And until it gets to the point where, you know, the enchanters, they, you know, you get to the point of the lice and and they're saying in chapter eight, verse 19, this is the finger of God. And, uh, you know, so. So they've given up. They're they're like we're done. We can't do anything. Any of this, and then you get to chapter ten, where Pharaoh's servants are saying to him, in verse seven: How long shall this man be a snare unto us? You know, he's how long are you going to let this go on? Don't you see that Egypt is destroyed? And uh, so, the servant saying that I think is interfering with the whole sense that pharaoh as god thing i mean that's that's kind of getting in the way of that mm. mindset i think and and, and uh, again we talked about uh, in in chapter nine that you know you see that he that feared the word of the lord verse 20 among the servants of pharaoh made his servants and cattle flee into the houses you know so that so the the, the egyptians had a uh, you know the servants of pharaoh they had a choice as well they understood right at least what was being told them And some of them made the choice to honor the word of the Lord and some of them. Right,
2: right, right. Yeah. You can really see how God through this is striving to engage the mind, you know, that just the, the slowness in a sense of starting with the snake, the rivers being turned to blood, like you're being confronted with the ability to comprehend what's going on and to make a conclusive decision based on time being given to you to think through the situation, you know, and it's clear that God wants understanding through
0: all of this. Part of that, I think is also, and I'm sure that you guys have talked about this previously, that he is executing his judgments, not just on Egypt, but on all the gods of Egypt. Right. And yeah, I think that that's great plays point. into this idea the magicians can do some of this. Mm. But at a certain point you have to say like we, this is not this is not human trickery. This right. is not this is not something we do to keep people, you know, believing in our gods. This is so much bigger than what we can do. And I find it fascinating personally that it is the use of dust
3: mm. mm-hmm. that
0: causes them to believe is the finger of God. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, that, that goes back to Genesis I mean that mm. goes back to the creation this idea of using dust mm-hmm. so I mean that that is it's really interesting and of course you know the New yeah. Testament uh, uses these names for the magicians and and uh, they come from Jewish mythology about what their names were like in second Timothy chapter 3 you have mm-hmm. their names are listed as Janus and Jambrus. and so they become a theme the false prophets do or these mm. uh, mm-hmm. these stand-in magicians do.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that's a good thing. That's a good subject to bring up, though, because there are some people who would say that, you know, and I, I kind of lean this way, but I may be completely wrong, um, you know, which, which should kind of be our, you know, pat answer to just about anything as preachers. Right. Uh, you know, I kind of lean this way, but I could be completely wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but, you know, the, I mean, chapter seven and verse twelve. They cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents, but Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. I I don't know. I mean, uh, maybe it reads differently in other translations, but that sounds to me like they cast down their rods, and their rods became serpents.
2: So, Yeah, it seems seems like that's the implication.
1: There's a possibility in my mind that that for whatever reason, God was allowing them to have uh, some modicum of a supernatural ability in a way to trick people. And that doesn't give them power necessarily. It's only what God was allowing them to do. But at least that's, that's just in my mind, but I, I welcome mm-hmm. uh, you guys' perspectives. Well, I mean, it might be, I think it certainly might be,
0: but at the same time, I've watched a street musician, not musician, magician, I'll try. <laughs> at the same time, I've seen a street magician turn a handkerchief into a live dove. Mm-hmm. I cannot tell you how he did that. I have no idea how he did that. <laughs> I mean, I can. St- I'm easily fooled by magicians. They're people who are really good at being able to see the prestige and all that, and that's great for them. I'm terrible at it. Um, and so every time I see them do things like that, I just stand there and with my my jaw agape and say, wow. Right. Yeah. I'm easily amused, obviously. But there is a limit. They might be able to take because I can understand if I think about it long enough, I can understand the similarity of the shape of a staff and having a cobra stuck in a staff somewhere and turning that that staff into a cobra. If they're really good, maybe they can do that. And I can understand maybe you find a way to turn like water red. There's lots of different things you could do, and maybe it can look like blood, maybe it's convincing enough, but after a while i got I love how strong it is you those people just hit like the ground dust came up, and then it was bugs, yeah, and that's <laughs> that's weird, man, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. No, it's, 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 they, it's, it's funny how quickly the enchanters just drop out. They're just like, after a few, they're like, nah, we're, this is, this is all we can do, man. And, uh, and and yeah, that's, I I could, I could see how you, you imagine how all this, you know, might've looked and um, people have imagined this in so many ways for so many years, but, um, but the the important thing to appreciate is that god again we get to the core of it here's a proud man who's sitting on a throne who says you know who is this god you know uh why why should i care about this and then god's saying okay here's why you should care and uh he is he's wrecking his nation he's wrecking the situation of his people and uh what we want to appreciate again is people read this in such ways that they want to say, well, God did this, God did that. And God does all these things, but why does he do them? He does them because a proud man is unwilling to do what he says, what he commands him to do.
2: Well, and it's interesting with the progression that we're, we're talking about, you know, I feel like it, God and his humility and just how God is making an appeal. So gently, um, it can make Pharaoh and his magicians obviously feel like they're in a battle with a power that they can compete with, you know, and you imagine the, the thrill of, you know, Moses and Aaron coming they're the uh, representatives of this slave nation in their midst and how empowering it could seem to Pharaoh that, you know, the message of this God is coming through these men who are performing these signs that I can imitate. Um, you know, cause you think about Pharaoh and just the position that he would see himself in and just the threat that this would be to his own pride and power. And, um, just even thinking that if, if he can withstand this, you know, the kind of reputation that he could gain by, you know, having the endurance to overcome right. the power of a God coming against him and his nation. Um, Stand, and so standing it, up to this challenge right right exactly exactly and, and and again it's it's god's gentleness it's god's humility that is becoming the license for pharaoh's pride
1: hmm.
0: and i think that's important for understanding you know we we're going to have conversations with our friends mm. about god hardening pharaoh's heart right yes and a lot of our friends and neighbors will pretend like it's some supernatural a supernatural prevention that Pharaoh is prevented from being the humble the way that he he should be. therefore God was being unfair or is uh, he's wrong in the way that he deals with the man that he makes hard. But the progression of the miracles is absolutely the methodology which he hardens his heart through,
2: right? Mm-hmm. He
0: chooses to let Pharaoh think he's strong enough in the beginning to compete. And slowly that falls away. Right, right. And mm-hmm. then over time he thinks, oh, this is survivable. Moses even says it. He goes, I know that you don't really believe this. And you have this parenthetical note that says, Alright, alright. So the barley and the flax, that's right. that's gone. But you yeah. know what? We we've got the wheat and the spelt later. We'll we'll be okay. We can get through this thing. Yeah. And so you have the idea in the beginning that I can compete and and then that takes a while for him to realize, no, I can't, well, maybe we can survive this thing. Mm. And after a while, he has to realize. maybe, no, we can't.
3: Mm. Wow.
0: Well, and that, that is the demonstration. God hardened Pharaoh's heart because he didn't bring everything against him in the very beginning. Right. That's such a good point. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So we want to appreciate that, that, you know, these things are getting worse and worse. And as we keep going and and thinking through this, we want to, you know, just keep that core in our mind that, you know, this is, this is what God does to a proud man. (laughs) It wears him down over time. And, uh, uh, and, and and in the same time he's freeing his people. Um, right. So there's, there's these different aspects there. You think about the history of the Egyptians and, and the legends about, you know, their gods then you know there's plenty of trickery and uh you know craftiness among the gods that i've heard of that you know they trap each other in certain ways and things such as that you know it's like any pagan society um the gods are going to act pretty much just like humans there's not going to be anything really um you know appreciable about their behavior um so you know why wouldn't pharaoh look at this and say oh some God I don't know about wants to tangle. Okay, let's go. Um, but in general, you know, I I think, so so, anyway, I think, I think all those points are very well taken.
0: One of the things I think that we can see in this is that Pharaoh continually offered a compromise. Right. Over and over and over again. He said, you can get out of this with most of your requests. You can go and it's just the guys just the guys mm-hmm. and, and, and that will work. And then you can go, but you can't take your animals Just leave mm. your animals here. You can, or, or, or leave something that make. but the reality is that Moses request is so bold that it's never going to work. Mm. I, there, there's never an opportunity for compromise. It doesn't have a place for it. Moses request is so strong He says, no, all of us are going, every one of us, and we're taking our animals. Literally everything we own is going to go out in that desert and we're going to go a whole day's journey. Well, no leader in their right mind is going to allow that to happen. My slave force is going to take all their stuff and their family. They're going to, no, 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 absolutely not. You're kidding me. But every time Pharaoh offers somewhat of a compromise, Moses says, no, it's everything. And I think that that's important for us to understand. Look, we bring a message that there is no compromise for. Mm -hmm. There cannot be a compromise. And it is naturally offensive to someone who is seeking compromise.
1: Right. And I I, I did uh, appreciate you bringing up Moses's stand at the end. I mean, you know, and and I love one thing I love about that passage is, you know, uh, in verse 26 of chapter 10. Um, at least the way it says in the old King James, we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come thither, basically saying, we don't know exactly what God is going to demand of us once we get out Mm -hmm. there, but we need everything we can. And so, you know, that's an aspect of faith on Moses' part to say, you know, we don't have the full picture of what God is going to be asking for. Mm -hmm. And so it's important that we are as prepared as possible. And 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 that so I appreciate you bringing up that that stand that Moses takes you know consistently and uh, what a great stand of faith.
2: I think one one thing really quick is the separation that God makes, starting with the flies. You know okay. that He's going to separate the Egyptians from the people of Israel, and I was wondering if you guys had any thoughts on the fact that there's not a separation made until the fourth plague and how that may have impacted the Israelites to kind of be in the midst of the
1: experience up to that point. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's really interesting. I hadn't, I had not considered that. And I think that's a fantastic point. Um, You know, the Israelites were right there seeing all this happen. And, you know, those first four plagues all are all throughout the land And then, uh, which, which plague does that, does he make Uh, that difference? The flies, uh, the flies.
2: Yeah. So it's in chapter eight, uh, verse
1: 22. Yeah. Yeah. Sever. I will sever in that day, the land of Goshen. So, so that there you have that separation there. Um, you know. So I guess you, know, you you would think about it too. I mean, the first plagues are pretty great, but then there's like I don't know. That's 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 interesting too on so many levels because it speaks to the fact of God allowing His people to be tried and suffer right. with the Egyptians, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then uh, it changes to a point where He sort of shepherds them and and watches mm-hmm. over them and protects mm-hmm. them.
0: uh, You know, it's interesting that it is right after the Egyptians admit that Mm, they cannot do it. That's interesting. That God says, now I'm really going to wrap this up. Yeah. Wow. My Mm. people won't even be dealing with the same stuff you will be.
1: Mm.
0: Now, this separation even continues. I'm glad that Brian brought that up because he talking about themes. Later on, uh, not only in Exodus 15, 26, but also in Deuteronomy 7, 15, it specifically says that they won't be dealing with the same kind of diseases mm. that the Egyptians have. He says it. Mm. He also he repeats the same thing in Deuteronomy 28, 60. Uh, he says it again in Deuteronomy 29, 22. This is a major theme throughout the law. Mm that God creates a separation between his people. Now there might be a lot of different ways that that comes about. First of all, you have all the kosher food laws. You have all the different ways that God wants his people to live the way that he wants them to stay away from communicable diseases by paying attention to the things in the law. So there's lots of, there's lots of ways that this is fleshed out, Mm -hmm. but the separation isn't one that stops. Now, mm. of course, Israel being a holy people among the nations is a major theme throughout, not only right. the Old Testament, yeah. but also God's people being different in the new too.
1: Absolutely. And so uh, I think that is one, you know, common thread that we see all through all throughout. Mm-hmm. You know, another thing I wanted to bring back up the sense of uh, the Pharaoh servants being able to heed the word of the Lord and fear the word of the Lord. Um mm. You know, that's, that's pretty important throughout the scope of the whole of the Bible. Um, even under the, under the old law, God was telling his people, you will accept the stranger among you. You will, you know, uh, you know welcome them, basically, receive them. Um, and the fact that we see in the New Testament that the Gentiles were a law unto themselves. Uh, so we, it's well established in Scripture that God at this time was looking at men in such a way that, you know, you live under the law that you're given. And uh, you do the best you can with that. And that's that's how you'll be judged. Uh, but, of course, the difference that we find, for example, in Acts uh, 17, uh, is that, you know, those times of ignorance got overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Uh, so I just love that in the midst of this, we have this sense where... The servants of Pharaoh could heed the Lord and at least have some understanding and act in such a way that they're in correspondence with that. And because of that, they don't lose their cattle. So. things that i think we connect to throughout the whole of scripture you know, again what does god do with a proud man uh the new testament tells us that you know the proud and the haughty and the arrogant uh, you know well proverbs as well tells us that 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 haughty person he's not going to be successful in the eyes of god um mm-hmm. he's going to hold on to whatever he can scramble on but ultimately it's all for nothing um and uh, I just I think there's a number of figures you could think of all throughout Scripture that sort of emulate the same kind of mindset that this fellow has. I think one of the most immediate, um, you know, parallels to Pharaoh here might be uh, Herod in the Book of Matthew and Luke. Um, you know, Herod the Great uh, is who I would think of. Herod the Tetrarch, but. Uh, I don't know if there are any other thoughts that y'all might have about that or in general or any other people Mm -hmm. you might suggest as parallels with this.
0: Well, I certainly think that anytime you have God's people having to deal with a significant ruler, you have to remember that God will do this to a ruler and he will humble him. Mm -hmm. You think about even the humbling that God had to do on Nebuchadnezzar. Right. So God's people are very close to Nebuchadnezzar. All the relationship is a little bit different. I think that Daniel has a different relationship with Nebuchadnezzar than Moses has with Pharaoh. But you still have the humbling of the proud and the demonstration Mm -hmm. of God's people being different Mm -hmm. than everybody else. But talking about the humbling of the nation, too, not just the person of Pharaoh, because this idea of what happens to the Egyptians and how God kind of overthrows the whole nation of Egypt and all of their gods becomes a theme throughout scripture. Uh, you have, you know, the, the remembrances of this time when the Philistines take the Ark,
3: mm, mm-hmm.
0: and they're worried about being too arrogant. This said, a guys, we got to be humble ourselves because right. this is a God who beat the Egyptians. Mm-hmm. You have Rahab who remembers that God overthrew Egypt and taking his people out. And so she says, our nation can't stand that. No, there's no way. We're scared to death of these people because their God overthrew Egypt. And so it's not just a humbling of an individual, although that's important to understand. This is a humbling of an entire nation. Right. And their theology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It seems like that's kind of the point that Romans
2: 9 is making. Yeah. You're talking about the humbling of an entire nation. You know, it seems like Romans 9, when it's talking about Pharaoh and hardening his heart and uh, verse 22 and 23 of Romans 9 specifically, where it says, What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon the vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Or rather, upon vessels of mercy, not the vessels of mercy. There, uh, it it seems like the point he's making is that the Jewish nation of the flesh was never God's predestined nation that He was going to fully embrace uh, when His plan would be fulfilled. That that nation always had a specific use, just like Pharaoh. You know that God was going to use Israel. To make his glory known to the people that he was seeking to redeem, which in verse 24, he says, even us, whom he also called not from among the Jews only, but also from among the Gentiles. So we seeing God's power through Jesus among the Jews and just the entirety of God's plan in the Jewish nation. You know, we, I think, are ultimately to have the same kind of fear and respect and joy and deliverance that the Israelites had coming out of bondage um, under Egyptian rule, uh, which may even represent, you know, just the world at, at, at a whole, but, but in Romans nine, especially, you know, the Jewish nation itself being like the, the greatest representative of, you know, Pharaoh's arrogance.
0: And what a slam against the people who believe that they had come out of Egyptian bondage so long ago and understood that they have to then turn around and say the entirety of the nation has had the same kind of arrogant character as Pharaoh.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean,
0: I mean, Paul, that's Paul is really digging deep on that. Yeah, one. definitely.
1: <laughs> yep, absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, I noticed too in Deuteronomy four 32 through 35 ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like it has been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard live, or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and outstretched arm and by great terrors, according to all the Lord, your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God. There is none other besides him. And, and it's, when when we kind of f- focus in and think about the rest of the history of this people it's it's just sort of amazing that you had this happen to a generation and then that that next generation comes up and they they just don't really care quite as much <laughs> and um mm-hmm. you know the next generation after that you know they're they're the ones to actually uh you know go in and conquer the promised land. And this is fascinating to me. If you look at, in, in terms of history, and, and kind of, and I know this is outside of the text, but if we're looking at this from a standpoint of history, uh, there was a ruler that came up through Egypt, and I can't remember his name right now. It may have been Akhenaten. I'm not sure, but uh, that that person became Pharaoh and basically changed uh, the religion of Egypt to a uh, monotheistic religion. Now he did this in much the same way that uh, Islam did. Basically, took take, taking a pagan system, choosing just one god out of that, and saying, "Well, that's that's the god. That's the god." And then within that same generation, the priests basically rose up and <clears throat> uh, murdered that pharaoh and changed it back to <clears throat> change it back to the religion they ha- they'd had before. So that's fairly significant to me, and it means that you know that that. That may have been, could have been, people speculate, because uh, he went on to see, here's this slave nation that came out of Egypt that ended up, you know, Egypt was decimated, to, no doubt, and they go forward and they conquer this this land uh, completely unopposed. Um, and so, I, I don't know, I, I, maybe that's useful, maybe it's not, but the, the the whole thing that we see is that here's God, he, he saves his people and he makes them a nation, and then what do they fall into once they, once they reach the place that they, you know, they've been promised, uh, you know, the generation after Joshua, uh, just quickly, quickly fall into rebellion against the Lord. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I know all those points are very well taken. I want to think about this idea of taking the nation
0: out of a slave nation or as a slave nation out of a stronger nation and how often that becomes a theme. Mm -hmm. Because, then you have the parallel to God taking the people out of Babylonian captivity under the command of Cyrus. And Jeremiah even talks about this in Jeremiah uh, 16 14 as well as 23 7, that there would be a time in which his people would no longer even talk about the fact that they had been taken out of Egyptian mm-hmm. captivity. Because being taken out of Babylonian captivity would be so much more important to them.
3: Mm-hmm. And
0: of course, you know, we understand that there's a a future theme of right. God taking his people out of somewhere else or providing them deliverance. That is deliverance from sin. But I love that this is so important to them. This defeat of the stronger so that he might save his humble uh, becomes such a major theme throughout the entirety of Scripture.
1: Yeah. Well, and also, I think we mentioned in the previous uh, section the sense that the first few plagues were basically experienced by everyone. And then, once the enchanters admit that this is the finger of God, that's when he sections off the land of Goshen and basically you know, says, I'm going to protect my people. I wonder if uh, you could make a parallel there about the sense where for example, in I believe it's Hebrews uh, 12 talking about uh, how, you know, if, if you're chastened, then God's dealing with you as a son and uh, mm. as children. And so there's a sense of chastening. There's a sense of, of you know, experiences in our lives. And, and and you see this throughout time where God's people go through a tough time. And I mean, you see it in the period of the judges, right? Uh, it's a little bit different there because that's mainly because of the people's sin. But they go they go under oppressors, they cry out to the Lord, the Lord sends a judge, the judge delivers them, and they have some form of respite after that um, and so of course that cycle goes back again, the sin cycle, but you know my whole point is that I think you do might have a parallel there where you know initially God's people are just sort of thrown into it together, but then God protects them um, I, I don't know there may be more to be made of that than what i said but well absolutely i i think that it is
0: i think it's what peter is talking about in first peter chapter 4 verse 17 he talks about the impending judgment he talks about a time of trial that they would face in their very near future and he says for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of god and if it begins with us first what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of god he specifically says that the saints in the first century and the persecution that they faced and the hardships that they they underwent uh, was going to begin with them first, right. but there was going to be a much larger persecution coming. Well, mm-hmm.
1: and it's interesting you mention that, too, because in the first century, there's evidence that, you know, with uh, when later on the first century, when the Romans started really, you know, having problems with the Jews, well, the Christians were basically tied up in all that. So a lot of the early persecution of the Rome of of Christians by Romans was just because there's an association with Judaism in their minds, and they don't care. They're you know they're not going to see very much difference. It's only I think in the early you know very early second century where you really start to see the Romans specifically leaning on and persecuting the Christians. Uh, I think overall you see a situation where God's going to take care of His people. But he's going to make sure they see what's happening and, and you know, their they experience. This is not a normal thing. And you talk about how, you know, when else did this happen? And I think what we have to have to realize and think about is I don't think of I know we mentioned it last week and it'll be on the future episode for our listeners. But, um, you know, I, I can't think of another time where God directly, supernaturally intervened with a nation in this level now there are other ways that he takes down nations i I believe providentially uh through different armies coming in that sort of thing but nothing really like this and so that that kind of brings more power to moses words uh in deuteronomy 4. yeah and then just another another passage that
2: uh i think relates uh to the theme that jeremy brought up um stephen was also talking about there is hebrews chapter 2 you know, it's starting in verse 14, dealing with God, judging a greater power to bring uh, those who are enslaved out from under that power. It says, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless. Who, him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. You know, so the idea is ultimately Satan is the ultimate Pharaoh and that uh, God mm-hmm. through Jesus so fully made a mockery of his power um, that it shows that there's there's nothing that Satan can ultimately do uh, to overthrow God's power. Despite how intimidating Satan's power can look um, and how powerless we are of ourselves. In Rise, we've also Colossians, Colossians chapter two. Um, On that note where he says, uh, when he disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. And it reminds me of Exodus again, the passage we read where it it said that God had made a mockery of uh, Egypt and its gods and its power.
1: Uh, I I love you bringing up the thought of uh, Pharaoh as being a type of Satan, um, because... You know, what's what's Satan doing in the wilderness with Jesus except trying to make a bargain? Uh, ah, yeah, trying to that's broker good. a deal. You know, it's like, right. listen, you do this and I'll help you out, you know, kind of deal. And it it's uh That's that's a really good thought, yeah.
0: I find it fascinating that what you have is Moses one of Moses' first miracles to demonstrate power is that he turns water into blood. Mm-hmm. And if you think about Jesus' earthly ministry, one of his first significant miracles ah, yes. is that he turns water into wine. Mm, now, right. you know, blood is obviously a pollution. Blood is not useful for anything. Blood is is gross and considered to be unclean. Whereas wine, uh, throughout the entirety of the Bible, is something that is a demonstration of God's uh, blessing, right? his help to his people. And so Jesus... Functionally shows that he is the better Moses, even in that first miracle that mm. echoes Moses' first miracle. Wow, yeah,
1: that's awesome! God's first miracle <laughs> through Moses. The 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 parallels we can make, you know, just from that statement alone. Uh, I think we would yeah. have a whole other, you know, hour to talk about that because, uh, but but Scripture talks about that so very well. Um, you know, Hebrews especially, of course. Hebrews is the one, the, the author saying, "Listen, you know, Moses was great." but you know what? Jesus built the house that Moses lives in and, uh, you know, he's the son of the house. And, uh, so, um, yeah, no, very, very well said.
2: Uh, one last thing for me is in second Timothy three, uh, you know, the, the passage where the magicians are brought up, you know, and they could not imitate, uh, the miracles that God was bringing against Egypt after the frogs, um second Timothy three one through five, you know it talks about these people who profess to know God um, hmm. And in verse five, they they hold to a form of godliness, but they deny its power. you know you have people who are treacherous, reckless, unholy, unloving, malicious gossips, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it seems like the idea is you have people who are holding to a form. They're trying to imitate godliness and the form of godliness. But it seems like we're called to live to a standard of faith and godliness that is impossible to imitate. And I was wondering if you guys have any thoughts on, on that theme, that
1: separation um, of living beyond imitation. I've got one quick take there. You know, Jesus, it seems when he was doing his miracles, he never really did them the same way. So Mm. he would, you know, have different methods that he would have, you know, spitting on the ground, making clay, spreading on the guy's eyes. You only see that once. Um, You you see him touching people's tongues to make them, you know, the, the person's tongue to make them talk. And I wonder if that was because he he just wanted to make sure that no one tried to sort of imitate his, you know, Mm. hand movements or gestures or words. I don't think there was any imitating Jesus, but he just does these things in all these different ways. Um, But, you know, verse 9 in that passage kind of stands out at me too. But they will progress no further, for their father will be manifest to all as theirs also was. So talking about the sense that, you know, everybody started to see the enchanters had no way to replicate this. Uh, it was mm. the finger of God. And uh, so I, I think that's just something that you see throughout all Scripture, whatever man tries to bring up. And you see this in Daniel as well. You know, uh, mm. the Nebuchadnezzar brings all his wise men, all his sages, all his astronomers yeah. together. Oh, everybody yeah, really Tell me what the dream means. Uh, we don't know what it means, king. And it's only Daniel that's able to say, here, here's what it means. And uh, so uh, very, very, very well said there. Yeah. Because, you know, that's what we see all throughout scripture.
0: Well, I'm reminded of in Acts chapter 19, what you've got is you've got the Jewish mystics. Ah. You've got the Jewish exorcists and they want to invoke the name of Jesus. They want to invoke the name of Paul but they aren't believers.
3: Mm. They're
0: not legitimate. They want to try to borrow the power, but it doesn't work. And of course they're, uh, they are <laughs> overcome by the man who uh, had the evil spirit and, um, and he beat up seven dudes and stripped them and kicked them out, which is one of the more hilarious parts of scripture.
2: You know, Jeremy, that reminds me of one of my favorite passages in the old Testament. It's Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 28 and 29 uh, where jeremiah is dealing with false prophets trying to imitate god's message and it says the prophet who has a dream may relate his dream but let him who has my word speak my word in truth what does straw have in common with grain declares the lord is not my word like fire declares the lord and like a hammer which shatters a rock and i just i love the power of those statements, you know, that God is saying my message has a power that cannot be imitated. Uh, And just, I guess one, one more thought on that, um, is the conflict between the Pharisees and Jesus, that the Pharisees had a form of righteousness that outwardly it did look, I think probably to most people as if they really were examples of righteousness, but when Jesus came, it just collapsed. You know, they could not imitate Jesus, just his heart, his genuineness, the way that he taught, the way that he lived, the way that he loved people. Um, it, it made a mockery of the Pharisees and their righteousness, and it showed how shallow and empty it was. Um, and so I think that's that's another, that another theme on the idea of living beyond imitation is, you know, Jesus displayed a, a righteousness of faith that the world in all its effort can't attain to.
0: Remember in this we talked about earlier this idea that there is a natural offense to the message that cannot be ignored. Mm-hmm. It is not something that can be compromised it is not something that the world is ever going to accept. And so every time that we engage with the world and they say well can you soften it a little bit maybe maybe you back off of this one issue and we are called to say every time, We don't back off of this. Right. Just like Moses had to say, no, it's literally all of us. Well, maybe you don't go outside. No, we're going a day's journey. We're going to do what God said. Well, maybe you don't take your families and say, no, we're going to take literally everyone. The world is always going to respond like Pharaoh. Amen. They're never going to want to agree with what God says. We are the ones who have to do what Moses did. We're the ones who have to continue to speak the message just as strongly as Moses did, with the belief
1: that God will absolutely free us and take care of us. Amen. Absolutely, and it takes—you know—it's—it's it, it's all the way from you know uh, someone saying, telling their boss, like, "Listen, you know, uh, I'm I'm not going to work on Sunday mornings, right." I'm not going to, I'm not going to, that time is what I'm reserving for God. And, uh, when we make, you know, concessions for that, you know, it ranges all the way from that to like where, you know, you're standing even among your family and your family saying, you know, no, this is, you know, uh, I, I just think in, in terms of application, you're having to take a stand, uh, for God in the midst of your family and maybe you're getting a lot of pressure and things like that you you still have to stand and uh, so that that's where all that ranges is this is this is our life this is the whole point of it um, if Moses had acquiesced to Pharaoh's deal I mean you know I, I, I can't imagine what God might have done Uh, you know and, and this is why we see Moses, I think, held up. You know, God remembers these things. God remembers, like, your faith. He remembers your stand. And uh, he doesn't forget that. And he, 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 you know, if Moses had acquiesced to Pharaoh, he wouldn't be telling uh, Miriam and Aaron later on when Miriam and Aaron are sort of rebelling. And uh, he says, hey, my, my servant Moses, that's, that's the guy you need to be listening to. And, and he's faithful in all the ways. Uh, I can't remember that exact phrase, but y'all, y'all get what I'm saying. Um, so, I mean, that that stand is so important to, to have that stand of faith that says, I will not budge. I will not, I will not be shaken because I stand with my God. Mm-hmm. So that,
2: that reminds me of one of my favorite, uh, prophecies in the old Testament that identifies, uh, new testament people um it's micah chapter 5 verses 7 through 9 and i think there's some good applications from this passage uh related to these things you know the the idea of being separate um being bold being uncompromising it says "Then the remnants of jacob will be among many peoples like dew from the lord like showers on vegetation which do not wait for man or delay for the sons of men The remnant of Jacob will be among the nations, among many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of sheep, which, if he passes through, tramples down and tears, and there is none to rescue. Your hand will be lifted up against your adversaries, and all your enemies will be cut off. You know, so verse 7 talks about how this remnant would be like this gentle, life-giving dew that, you know, gently goes upon the ground. But then in verse 8 and 9, there's this image of this almost like terrifying violence that would be with this remnant as well. And I think it's just that idea that we're talking about is, you know, if we're willing to be bold in our faith to speak God's message as it is without compromise, then God's hope is that that will convict the hearts of the people around us as we live in that boldness.
1: Well, when people are, people are saying even that, you know, who is this God that I should serve him? You know, it's 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 this sense of you know people just plain don't know. I, I I come I come up and find you know at least two or three people every year that are saying you know I, I don't really know the Bible. I've never really read it. I don't really know what's in it. And uh, these are typically younger people, and it's just like well, you know, and I think there's an opportunity there, uh, but. You know, it's up to them as to how far they're going to try to investigate with this. And, uh, you know, that's that. But that's the kind of society that we're in. And and I believe society is just going to get more and more like that. You know, I'm in I'm in the the South and in the United States. You know, most anybody you talk to on the street is going to say, yeah, I believe that that, you know, in the God of the Bible, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. Uh, Jeremy, I don't know about where you are, but I mean, generally anyone I talk to here is going to have that kind of at least stated faith. That's what they're saying. Whether they live up to that is another thing. But, uh, but I think generally society is leaning more toward an, uh, anti-religious sentiment or anti-Christian sentiment.
0: Well, I think that that is certainly what's going on. And I don't know that we have, really done a good job of utilizing the religious freedom that we've had Mm -hmm. and the success that we've been we've had because i think Mm -hmm. that it has made us very soft and very comfortable Mm -hmm. and i think it's just become very easy for us to make these sort of compromises and i think that we've done it over and over again being well liked by the world being well respected in government circles um, pretending like we can can have the both worlds, which is we can be okay with God and also okay with human beings has made it so that most of our claims of holiness, that is this idea of separation are really empty. Yeah. I mean, you look at the way that people talk about the evangelicals uh, nowadays because they've become so politically savvy and they've become so involved in these things. And you look at the, the, the mega church pastors and the world understands what hypocrisy that is. They say, you know, you guys claim to be different, but look, this guy, you know, he's on TV and he's driving mm-hmm. around his, in his Bentleys. And you've got, you know, uh, this pastor, that pastor saying that I need a new private jet. I can't ride in coach cause that's where the demons are. I know I've ridden in coach. So sometimes I can understand that, <laughs> but the reality is, that's not what we came in this to do.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And so there's been a lot of emptiness, this, mm-hmm. this idea of a holding on to a form of godliness, but denying its right. power. Sometimes that's more in the church than out of it. Right. Hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And that, that makes me think, Jeremy, you know, talking about the emptiness, one of the things that was on my mind that I think can, can lead there, uh, in, in, Exodus 9:27 and 10:16 Pharaoh confessed his sin but it was very empty and vain. You know and I think one of the big things with the sectional reading in Exodus is cuz confession is essential. It's essential it's, it is essential that we confess our sins uh, to God um, ultimately. But God is ultimately seeking repentance and surrender. Uh, and I know I've struggled with oftentimes I will confess something to God, but I won't actually surrender my will in regard to what I've confessed. And so I just end up confessing it again. Um, and I think that's, that's a really important thing is, you know, confession is not to be treated lightly. And when we've sinned against God, that is not to be treated lightly. Uh, sin shows that there is something in me that needs to be surrendered and repentance is completely surrendering.
1: Yeah, really. This conversation is making me think about you know two Corinthians six, and uh, you know this may seem fairly obvious, but I think we need to remember this uh, two Corinthians six fourteen through eighteen. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness, and what accord has Christ with Belial. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So Paul is speaking there from uh, you know two or three different uh, uh, references there to kind of string together the sense that that Christians are to be different, and 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 I think one of the things that that again, kind of thinking about what we're doing with this podcast, I mean, we could very easily take this and run with it and try to be ambitious with it and say, oh, think about all the people we could convert and that sort of thing. But, you know, we started at the start. I think the first uh, episode we put together, Bryant, and we talked about, you know, why we're doing this and what our point was. And we, we said our point was not to go convert the world. And that may, that may be shocking to some people because, well, why wouldn't you? Well, because we, we don't really think that, that's, that this is the way that you do that. Uh, you don't create some sort of big project to do that. People have tried for, for generations to put together something to activate the universal church and try to say, well, we're going to all do this all around the world everywhere. And it always leads to apostasy. It always leads to unfaithfulness. It always leads to, uh, out, out and out sin. And so, you know, we have to be separate from the world and we have to be content to work in the ways that God has given us to work. And those are the best ways mm-hmm. to work. Absolutely. Yep. So God, God has freed us from, from sin. If if I'm a Christian, God has freed me from sin and I, I need to be careful and we're going to see, as we keep looking here, we're going to see a time very, very soon where the children of Israel are saying, Hey, we had it better in Egypt and, uh, we need to mm-hmm. really look and see, no, that's not the case at all. And, uh, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and we think that sometimes, Hey, I, I had it better in Egypt. I had it better in my previous life. Uh, where things were easier and maybe things felt more, I don't know, fun. I, I have fun though. I mean, I don't, I don't, but, uh, but the whole, the whole point is, I mean, we we still think about that sometimes if we're not careful and we get, we mm-hmm. get an attraction to that former life. <clears throat> Even Christians that are, that are saying, you know, uh, Well, you know, talking about how much they used to drink and, and, and do things like that. And they'll almost sort of have a gleam in their eye when they talk about it. Uh, I think we need to be very, very careful about that and, and, uh, and remember, Hey, we're supposed to be separate. We're supposed to be different. Absolutely. Well, uh, we're so grateful for you listening again, uh, check out, uh, the websites of everybody involved and again, thankful for Jeremy being along for the ride and, uh, Appreciate you being here, man, and yeah. uh, looking forward I appreciate to appreciate you guys. Looking forward to recording more with you, and mm-hmm. uh, yep. thank you too, Bryant, for being available. And That's always uh, encouraging. And uh, I mean, all you guys, like all of us together. I mean, I think we can we can be integral to this. So, um, all right. Well, uh, until next time. Next time, we will be looking at Exodus eleven and twelve. Look forward to that, and until that time, uh, study well and be lights to God's glory. Oh. Music used on this program is graciously provided by Symphonia. Symphonia is a nonprofit foundation whose purpose is to compose, publish and promote hymns for congregational worship. Find out more at symphonia.com.